Blog Talk Radio. Well, folks, I hope you guys are having an awesome day. It's Troy Dooley, the host of the Beachside CEO. And I'll tell you why I'm excited. Today is Halloween. And when Halloween is over, tomorrow is November 1st. And even though I've got a bum leg, I'm getting a root canal today. I like to do things out of the box. So tomorrow, with my family's blessing, I'm buying a new Christmas tree. We're going to be starting to decorate for Christmas. And we are going to get into the spirit of the holiday. You know, and, and it's the last two months of the year. And if you're in business for yourself, it's that time when, you, when you'll hear two different messages. You'll hear a message that says, you got to work, you got to work, 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 work. And there's, there's a time for work. But this is also a time to rejoice. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to count the blessings that you've had. It's a time to celebrate with family. And by golly, you better do that. The way I see it, this today starts that that whole thing. Tonight, we're going to go to to the harvest party over at the church and let the kids have fun and and just enjoy life. And by golly, I hope you guys are doing something too to start this holiday season off right. First thing we can do is pray for all those folks up and down the East Coast. You know, the kids are going to have to wait a few days before they do Halloween if they get to do it at all. There's families that have lives have been devastated. And this is the time of year when we can reach out and help them. We can reach out and do what we need to do to make their life better. And that's just my little commentary this morning because I think it's important that even in the midst of business that we celebrate with those that we love. My son may have lost his whole life in Cape May, New Jersey. We don't know, haven't heard yet. Uh, He and his family made it from here to Ohio. They're now blizzard and rain and snow and all that, but they're safe. And if they lost it all, then we'll help them rebuild, and insurance will help cover some of that. So um, all of us have our, our stories. i got a lot of team members that are on the East Coast. We're just praying for all of you. Start with why, Simon Sinek's book on how great leaders inspire everyone to take action. This is Chapter 12, Split Happens, S-P-L-I-T, Split Happens. Interesting title, but what have we been talking about? The why, the golden circle, the cone. This is important for us all to think about. See, Walmart started small, Microsoft started small, Apple started small, Starbucks started small. Uh, General Electric started small until J.P. Morgan bought it. Ford started small. Almost every company that's made it big started small. Driven by the passion of the founders. It wasn't until about the 80s or so that companies started with acquisitions, spinoffs, all that crap. Nearly every company or organization starts the same way with an idea. No matter whether an organization grows to become a multi-billion dollar company like Walmart or falls in the first few years, most started out by a single person or a small group. It's interesting when we look at this. See, in the beginning, the ideas are fueled with passion. They're very compelling emotions. They're, they're the cause that drives us. matter of fact, we'll do irrational things when we're driven by that cause funny because when you think about this even the United States was started this way by a cause driven by something bigger than its founders see in the beginning the ideas are fueled by passion they're compelling emotion and and 
And it would drive us to do things like sacrifice, quit our jobs, drop out of school, give up a good salary with benefits, try to go it alone. It will cause us to work extraordinary long hours without a second thought. Sadly, it even, in some cases, causes us to put a strain on our relationship or give it up, and I, I hate it when I hear that. But passion is intoxicating and exciting, and it and it affects everyone around you. When the founders are there, the founders' visions inspire, and many of the early employees demonstrate classic ado- early adopter behavior. They rely on their gut. The first employees quit their perfectly good jobs and accept lower salaries to join an organization with a 90% statistical chance of failing. Do I need to say that one again? 90% of all businesses fail in the first three years. But yet people are driven by the passion. Statistics don't matter. Passion and optimism reign. Energy is high. And like all early adapters, the behavior of those that join early says more about them than it does about the company's prospects. Matter of fact, the reason so many small businesses fail is because passion alone can't cut it. See, for passion to survive, it needs structure. A why without the house is like passion without structure, and it has a high probability of failure. Remember the dot-com era? I mean, man, we saw all kinds of failures there. But yesterday we talked about the titans of Endicott House. They knew how to build the system, the processes to see their companies grow. They were among the statistical 10% of all small businesses that don't fail in their first three years. In fact, many of them went on to do quite well. Their challenge was different. Passion may need structure to survive, but for structure to grow, it needs passion. You can have all the structure in the world, but if you don't have the why behind it, nothing happens. Walmart prime example when I think of it I think huh it's amazing see kind of like Walmart the Endicott entrepreneurs used to think and act and communicate from inside the golden circle they all launched their businesses with a driving passion but they lost that in other words their why went fuzzy See, the single greatest challenge any organization will face is success. When the company is small, the founder relies on his own gut to make the major decisions. Marketing, product development, all that stuff. But when the organization grows, as it becomes more successful, then all of a sudden you've got to hire more people. And if you're not careful... Slowly but surely, as the megaphone grows, the clarity of the why will be diluted. Where gut used to be the filter of all decisions, now it's about data. That's exactly what happens. And that's what we can't afford to let happen in reality. It will mess us up. We don't want to see that happen. See, we've got to work on this and work on it in a big, big way. 
we've got to make sure whether our organization is us, a few hundred people, a giant corporation, that we don't let the why get diluted. If the passion goes, then the inspiration will be at a minimum. All of a sudden, we'll do like so many companies. We'll start trying to sell the money story. We'll start trying to sell the comp plan, the products, the services. That's not what it's about. It truly is about the why. And all great legacy companies are built around a why that makes them last. If the people inside only see themselves going to a job, then the people outside aren't going to get it either. See, the volume of the megaphone comes solely from growth of the what. And as the matrix grows and companies become more become a leading company, a category creator, whatever you want to call it, that's great. But it's the ability to inspire and maintain clarity of the why that gives only a few people and organizations the, the ability to lead. We can continue to lead when we don't get rid of our why. When we do, it splits everything, and the what takes control and the why gets diminished. I honestly believe this is why in Christianity you see so many daggum different denominations is they forgot about the why, and it became about the what. You don't see that so much in the Catholic Church. You see it a little bit in, in the Mormon Church. You see it a little bit even more in Judaism. And when you think about it, you don't see it much in the automobile industry, though, do you? Interesting. Something to think about. See, simply being around a charismatic founder allows the feeling to become part of something special to flourish. John Addison, who leads Primerica today, grew up around Art Williams at that corporate office. He sucked in every word. He was like a sponge. And he leads that company into a brand new why that's like Art had. And that company's coming around again in such a big way. But for organizations that want to pass the school bus test to become a billion-dollar organization or work at a scale large enough to shift markets or society, then they need to manage through the split. And they've got to keep the why focused. Now, I'm explain the school bus test is really just a metaphor. See, if a founder or a leader of an organization were to hit, be hit by a school bus, the question you've got to ask is, would the, would the organization continue, continue to thrive at the same pace without them at the helm? Some might. Most won't. See, to pass that school bus test, for an organization to continue to inspire and to lead beyond the lifetime of the founder, the why must be extracted and integrated into the culture of the company. And remember, the why it's formulated in the part of the brain that doesn't understand language. It's that intangible. It's what makes it so hard. Microsoft hit the split. And they're falling farther and further into the what. But they still got a ways to go. They can still come back. AOL, American Online, they went through the, the split, and they lost it all. You know, it used to be so cool. People had an AOL address. Now if you have an AOL address, it's like you've been left behind somewhere. 
you don't ever get AOL being compared to Google or Facebook or any of these new companies anymore. So you got to ask yourself, what do you measure? What's supposed to get done? I want to share a story that Simon has in here. He says, in the fall of her freshman year in college, Christina Harbridge set out to find a part-time job. Intrigued by the prospects of working in the antiques business, she answered a newspaper ad in Sanclamini to do office work for a collector. Harbert found out, however, that the job was filling papers for a collection agency, and even then she wasn't sure what that meant. But the collection's office wasn't anything to do with antiques. Consisted of a huge room with dozens of phone stations, each staffed by a debt collector making call after call to a long list of businesses owed them money. The setup in the room meant there was no privacy. Everyone could hear everyone's call. Harbridge was immediately taken by the harshness of the tone of the, that the collectors used with those from whom they aimed to collect their debts. They would hound them, threaten them, all this kind of crap, just to get information from them. Interesting. Now, this is the fun part here. Harbridge recognized that the owner of the co- that the owner of the company and the collectors were all kind and gracious people. They helped each other out, listened to each other's problems, even joined together to sponsor a homeless family during the holidays. But when they were on the phone to collect debts, these same people turned passive aggressive, rude, and often mean. It's not because they were bad people. It was because they were incentivized this way. Remember manipulation. What gets measured gets done, as Jack Daly once said. That's interesting. Debt collectors are paid, motivated by being mean. While feeling like what she was doing was completely out of balance with her why, Harbridge decided there had to be another way. I got it into my head that I was going to start a collection agency that collected by being nice. People in the collection agency thought she was naive, if not crazy. But in 1993, she moved to San Francisco and started her own collection firm, Bridgeport Financial. Steep in the belief that agents would have more success treating people with respect than badgering them. Harbridge built her company on her why, that everyone had a story and everyone had a reason or had a deserve to be listened to. Her approach was to have her agents try to establish rapport with the debtor on the other end of the phone in the course of a three-minute conversation. The goal was to learn everything they could about the person's circumstances. Did they have the means to pay the debt? Would they honor a payment plan? Was the reason for the failure to pay reflective on a short-term situation? Situation. We would get people to tell us the truth, she said. Sure, we had a legal department, but we tried to avoid it. Harbridge knew, however, that no matter her intentions, if she measured results the same way as others, the same awful behavior would result. But if she incentivized in a whole new way, then she would have found a way to measure her why. That's interesting. Because it would be harder to hire nice people when you think about it. And it goes against the culture. It's, 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 it's out of the box. It's going against the status quo. 
Harvard measured her why. And they measured what they did. And they hired the right people. Now the question. But what about the results? What about her financial results? The ones most businesses pursue. Listen to this. She collected 300% more money than the industry average. What most of the people and companies were initially being pursued ended up doing more business with the original people. So in other words, those people that were actually the, the, the deadbeat debtors, as they call them, because she was nice, they went back to those other companies and did biz- business with them in the future. That's huge. That's big. When you do it with your why, you go against the status quo and life changes. It doesn't matter if it's your work life or your personal life. And she's not the other only ones. Another little company started by Dwayne Honor. I think he's Cajun. He's out of uh, Baton Rouge. He learned to trade from his father. He was into home improvements. Owned a commercial, or not a home improvement, but a commercial construction company. A leader with a deep sense of purpose, he de- he devised some years ago a brilliant system to ensure that the value that his values are reinforced in his company's culture. He figured out how to measure something most people can only pay lip service to. Work-life balance. Hunter, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I think that's it, believes that people should not spend all their time at work, but rather they should work to spend more time with their families. So everyone must clock in between 8 and 8.30, and and, and they must clock out by 5 and 5. Stay any later than 5.30, this is great. Stay any later than 5.30. And you're out of the bonus pool. Now, isn't that a concept that's upside down from society today? Most companies say, work, 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 work. Uh Uh-uh. You're supposed to enjoy life. See, that's what keeps it going. Now, the question is, can good succession follow? What do you do? How do you do it? Bill Gates left the company. The company's kind of floundered since he left. Still hangs out a lot. But I'm not sure Steve Ballmer's the same leader, but he's doing he's doing good for the shareholders. But it's not always about just the shareholders. So I learned a long time ago, if you take care of your employees, you take care of your team, they'll take care of the customers, and the customers will bring money to the company and then, and only then, are the shareholders taken care of? That's the key. That's what sets us apart. Apple found this out. They hired John Scully. Turned Pepsi around. And it's interesting because he knew what he was doing, but here was the problem. He didn't understand the why that Steve Jobs had. And Steve Jobs didn't even understand how to go get a business guy. All he knew about was manipulation. He probably learned that in business. He went to Scully and said, do you want to sell sugar water your whole life or do you want to change the world? He was playing off Scully's ego, aspirations, and fear, and he did it well. Scully came into the company, but very quickly, within three years, I believe it was, had ousted the founder of Apple Computers, Steve Jobs. And within a few years, 
It had faltered, fallen. But in 1997, Steve Jobs came back, and the rest is history. Now, we'll see how it is now that Steve has passed away. Another company this happened to, one of my favorites. I own lots of stock in this company, Starbucks. Back in 2000, Howard Schultz resigned as CEO of Starbucks. For the first time in its history, despite 50 million customers a week, the company began to crack. We've done series on the Starbucks company on this radio program, and if you look back at the history of Starbucks, it thrived not because of coffee, but because of the experience that it offered to customers. Schultz brought the why to the company. Heck, the company had been 10 years old before he came on board in 1982. He gave his vision to the three founders of the company. They didn't like it. He went and started another company and later went and bought Starbucks and changed his company name back to it. But the interesting thing was a memo that he put out right before he came back to Jim Donald, who was the CEO at the time. He implored Donald, make the changes necessary to invoke the heritage, the tradition, and the passion that we all have for a true Starbucks experience. And when he didn't do it in early 2008, Schultz replaced Donald with a leader who could better steer the company himself. After an eight-year hiatus, came out of retirement to build something. It's amazing when you see that. I love it because it really does show what happens. But let me ask you this. What happens? What happens when the why goes? It doesn't matter if it's a family business or a giant corporation or just you and your family. What happens when the driving passion of the company leaves? What do you have left? On April 5th, 1992, at approximately 8 in the morning, Walmart lost its why. On that day, Sam Walton, Walmart's inspired leader, the man who embodied the cause around how he'd built the world's largest retailer, died of bone marrow cancer. Soon after, his son succeeded and said, no changes are expected in the corporate direction controller policy. Sadly, for the employees, let alone the customers and shareholders, that isn't what happened. Changes took place. It was sad. But it's what happens. Sam was the embodiment of every person. Though he was named the richest man in Forbes magazine in 95, held that title until he died, he knew that money wasn't a good yardstick for success. Now, it it, it helps you to... I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I guess money can be a good yardstick for success if money is the, the point in factor. But at the end of the day, it's really about the people. See, this is something that I believe so deeply in my heart that it freaks me out when I find out people preach it and then they don't live it. See, if you look after the people, they will look after you. Walmart never went through the split of losing their why as long as Walton was in command. I think it's because he never forgot where he came from. He got his hair cut at the same barber shop, drove the same pickup truck. 
Somebody asked him one day, why do you drive a truck instead of a Rolls Royce? He goes, I'm sure not going to put my dogs in a Rolls Royce. I can put them in the back of my truck. Always had on his tweed jacket, his trucker's cap. He was just the average Joe. He looked like you and me. Matter of fact, from personal experience, I can tell you he acted just like you and me. I had the opportunity before he passed away. Talon, his lovely wife, was speaking at an event in Kansas City, and my father-in-law and I happened to be catering that event. Sam came back to get an extra piece of pecan pie. And we stood around in the kitchen as he just chatted and talked, wanted to know a little bit about what we did. and We talked a little bit about what he did. And we just had a good time. You wouldn't have known that he could have bought us 14 million times over. You didn't realize that when he walked out of that kitchen, got back on the plane, went back to Bentonville, he probably wouldn't even remember our names. He made us feel like right that moment we were the most important people to him. That's kind of cool. We were feeding him. We didn't poison him. Didn't get, you know, sue us. But when he passed away, something happened. And that's a sad thing. See, when something happens like that, you start to scratch your head and say, man, how how can a company not go back through their, their minutes, their archives, and see it? Go back and read the the letter from the CEO through all the shareholder reports. Another company was founded in 1983 was Costco. Costco hasn't lost their why. They take care of their employees. They have 120,000 loyal ambassadors, as they call them. They don't have an advertising and PR department. They just take care of their people. They take care of their people so well that the investors get ticked off at them because they say they pay them too much. They care most about them. They don't take care of us that way because shareholders don't understand it yet. You take care of the employees, and they'll take care of the shareholders. See, when people know why you do what you do, they are willing to give you credit for everything that could serve as proof of why you're in business. It's what sets people apart. Costco is the embodiment of their why. I want you to listen to what, what, what Simon writes here. He says, Costco's advantage is the embodiment of their why. Jim Single, who's the CEO, is still there. The things he says and does help reinforce all those around him of what the company stands for. Staying true to that why, he only draws 430000 a year as a salary, a relatively small amount given the size of the success of the company. At Walmart's peak, Sam Walton never took a salary more than 350000 a year, also consistent in what he believes. David Glass, the first man to take over as CEO after Sam, was a man who'd spent considerable time with Walton, and he said, A lot of what goes on these days with high-flying companies and these overpriced CEOs who are really just looting the top and aren't watching out for everybody else because of the, but, but themselves really upsets me. It's one of the main things that's wrong with American business today. Now, that, was the, that was the successor for Sam Walton. Three more CEOs have attempted to carry the torch at Walmart. And with each success in that torch, that clear sense of purpose, cause, and belief has grown dimmer and dimmer. The new hope 
lies in Michael T. Duke, who took over as CEO in early 2009. Duke's goal is to restore the luster and the clarity of Walmart's why. And to do this, he started by paying himself an annual salary of $5.43 million a year. It's interesting because he's a long, long ways from the why. Tomorrow we start the most important part of this book, discovering your why. It's going to be an awesome time. I think we'll be on the radio show tomorrow. I go get this uh, root canal today, and from everything that I've learned, I should be able to talk tomorrow. We'll try. (laughs) Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure. Stay dangerous, stay strong, and if you're in network marketing, act like it. You've been listening to the Beachside CEO heard around the world on the Home Business Radio Network, the voice in positive powered radio.